Today we're reading Habakkuk, the whole book, so that's chapters one through three. And they read, the oracle that Habakkuk, the prophet, saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and will you not hear, or cry to you, violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you look idly at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me, strife and contention arise, so the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. As at kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, his sa he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet, for by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out and see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so that he may run, so that he may run who reads it, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come, it will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up, it is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol, like death he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Shall not all these take up their taunts against him, with scoffing and riddles for him, and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own, for how long, and loads himself with pledges, Will not your debtors suddenly arise, and those who awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoil for them, because you have plundered many nations. All the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you, for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood, and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, it is not from the Lord of hosts, 
that people labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the water covers the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup of the Lord's right hand will come around to you, and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beasts that terrify them. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and to all who dwell in them. What profit, is, what profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies, for its maker trusts in his own creation, when he makes speechless idols? Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to Shigionoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear? In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hands, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence, and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Kushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horse, on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows, Selah. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place. At the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear, you marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places, on my high places. To the choir master with stringed instruments. All right, good morning. Okay, kids, raise your hands up for me. All right, I have a question, and I want you to think about your answer carefully because I'm just not sure how you're going to answer this one. 
Has anything ever happened in your life at any time that you didn't like? Raise your hand if you have. Right? Probably all of us, right? So, and what do you do sometimes, maybe not all the time, but what do you do when when something happens that you don't like? Eli? Yeah, so you like stomp or punch something. What else? What else do we do when, we, when something happens we don't like? Josie? Yeah, kind of pause and cry. Eleanor? Go hide in your room. Lizzie? You go hide in your room. Ben? Scream. Does anybody ever complain? Maybe. What, is, what does it mean to complain? Marshall? Say, why do you have to do this? Be upset about it. Do any of you ever complain about maybe, let's say, like food? Like your mom or dad makes a meal and you're like, I don't like this, this is gross, this is yucky, right? How do your parents respond when that happens? Levi? Too bad you got to eat it, right? But usually, right, parents, even though they don't want us to complain, they're probably kind. Um, the reason, so the reason why we're talking about this is because in our book today, Habakkuk, what we get Two chapters of the book are devoted to Habakkuk complaining. Like, that's what he's doing. He's complaining to God about things that are happening that he doesn't like, that he doesn't understand. And so he, he voices his complaint to God. He, he takes it to the Lord and said, hey, this is happening. I don't understand. This is happening. I don't like it. And how do you think God responds to Habakkuk? What do you think? Do you think God is going to, like, get really mad at Habakkuk and be like, you just shush? Or do you think God is going to listen to Habakkuk and, and teach him and encourage him? What do you think, Olivia? He's going to give mercy. Olivia's right. God, even when Habakkuk complains to God, the one who's in control of everything, the one who, who knows all things, the one who sees all things, the one who understands better than Habakkuk does, even when Habakkuk complains to God, God uh, shows grace to Habakkuk. He, he teaches him. He, he loves him. He kind of leads him along and helps him understand more about what he's doing in the world. And at the end, what we see is Habakkuk responds with, with faith and trust in God, even though he still doesn't like what's happening. And so kids, I would encourage you to go home today and ask your parents what they learned about God in our passage today and, and, and how they uh, strive to trust in God, even in the midst of circumstances that they don't like. Because grown-ups complain too. And, and as parents, we need to do a better job of showing you kids how to trust in God in the midst of things we don't like, rather than just voicing our complaint and, and just getting away with it. So let's pray, and then we'll get into our passage this morning. Father, we thank you that you are gracious and merciful. 
that you allow your, your people, your creation to complain to you, to be upset, to be disgruntled, to, to question you and the things you do. And yet you just re- reveal more of yourself to us. I thank you that you caused Habakkuk's prophecy to be included in scripture so that we could have these words, so that we could benefit from them together and learn from them together. And so we pray that you would, you would send your spirit this morning to, to encourage us, to, to convict us, to, like Habakkuk, help us move from frustration to, to faith. Jesus, we thank you for setting an example for us of, of what it looks like to do what Habakkuk does consistently and constantly for, for coming here to, to die in our place so that we could have access to relationship with God so that we, like Habakkuk, could pour out our complaints to you and have you respond in grace and mercy to us. Thank you for who you are and what you've done for us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So today... We're in Habakkuk 1 through 3. Last week, we, we wrapped up Nahum. And uh, to kind of give you a, an, an idea of, of where we're at in history at this point. So last week, Nahum, it's like 660 to 630 BC. And Nahum was talking about how, how Nineveh was going to be wiped out by the Babylonians. So Habakkuk, we, we move forward in time just a bit, probably like 620, 615 BC. And the reason why this matters is because it helps us understand what's taking place in the life of Judah during this time. So the, the northern kingdom of Israel, like it's, it's been wiped out. It, it's gone. Assyria took care of them, um, but Judah still exists. They're still kind of in this cycle of sin and rebellion against God. God is pouring out judgment on them. Um, and so What's happening in, in kind of their world is that Nineveh still exists. It, it hasn't fallen. Assyria still has power, but they're kind of losing power. And, and Babylon is kind of rising on the world stage. And so three important things are going to happen in the not too distant future. So Habakkuk is going to experience these things in his lifetime. The first thing is that King Josiah is, is going to die. He's going to die around 609 BC. And the reason why that matters is because he was a good king. Uh, Judah had a, had several really bad kings, and then Ju- Judah or Josiah comes onto the scene, and he institutes some reforms. He kind of reestablishes the temple. He he restores it. He reinstitutes Passover, and so he's kind of basically leading a revival in the lives of the people of Judah. And he's he's doing these great things, uh, but his death is is really bad for the nation. It's kind of like the the, the last straw. It's what kind of sends them over the edge. The next thing that's going to happen uh, in ba- in Habakkuk's lifetime is Assyria is going to be destroyed. Babylon's going to come in just like Nahum said they, he, they would, and they're going to take out Assyria. And so Assyria is going to kind of lose their grip over the region, but Babylon is going to take their place. And the third thing that's going to happen that Habakkuk is going to see, he's going to experience, he's going to live through is what is talked about in this book. Babylon is going to come in, they're going to invade Judah, and, and they're, going to, they're going to wipe them out. They're going to destroy the city. They're going to carry the people off into Exile. That's going to happen uh, in the not too distant future for him. And so this is the environment that this prophecy is, is speaking into. 
Uh, it's meant to encourage the people, to, to build them up, to, to help them kind of come to grips with what's taking place in their world, in their circumstances. And, and what's particularly interesting about Habakkuk is that it's, it's different from the rest of the minor prophets. The rest of the minor prophets are like, hey, here's this prophecy that's for these people. But if you notice, when, when Nathan read Habakkuk, Habakkuk is, is, is not really like directly speaking to anyone. It's just this conversation that's happening between Habakkuk and the Lord. As Habakkuk complains to God about what's happening, and God responds. And so really, it's, it's like this conversation that we just get to look into, to, to witness, to see what's happening. And, and this kind of, God uses this interaction between him and the prophet as prophecy for the people. And so what we get is we get two complaints from Habakkuk, and then two responses from God. That's, that's chapter one, chapter two. Then chapter three, the book ends with this, this closing psalm where Habakkuk, after complaining, responds with, with faith and worship to the Lord. So the first complaint, the very beginning, Habakkuk is, is upset. He's, he's mad. He's frustrated because he doesn't feel like his prayers are being heard. Feels like God isn't answering him. He says he's been crying for help, but, but God doesn't hear. He's been kind of pointing out violence being done around him, but, but God isn't saving. He sees iniquity and justice all over the place, but verse 4, he says the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. So Habakkuk has been seeing all these bad things happen. He's crying out to God, asking God to intervene, and he feels like God isn't responding. Instead, what's happening is that the wicked surround the righteous, and justice is perverted. So the Lord responds. He responds by telling Habakkuk to to open his eyes and to look at the nations. He he wants him to see and, and be astounded at what's taking place. Why? Because he says he's doing a work in Habakkuk's day that Habakkuk wouldn't believe even if he was told. And this right here is why context is really important when studying the Bible. Right? This verse God is going to do something amazing in your day that you wouldn't even believe if you were told. Or, another one that fits that is Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Right? We've probably all maybe got that on like a graduation card. But let's find out what those plans are. Let's find out what God is going to do that Habakkuk wouldn't even understand. Let's look. Let's see. Verse 5. God is encouraging him to have faith, but for what? Verse 5. I'm raising up the Chaldeans. That's, that's the Babylonians. It says they're, they're bitter and hasty. They, they march all over the earth to take other people's stuff. They're, they're dreaded and fearsome. They're, they're only bound by their own sense of justice, which is going to be very different from Habakkuk's. It says their horses are faster than leopards. They're fierce as evening wolves. They fly, fly swiftly as eagles to devour their prey. It says all of them are out for violence. They, 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 they round up captives more numerous than sand. Kings and rulers and, and fortresses, they, they just laugh at them as they conquer them. Then they, they just move on to the next battle. They are guilty men who only worship their own might. So God is doing something that Habakkuk wouldn't believe. He's raising up the Babylonians who are going to destroy Judah and destroy Jerusalem and carry the people off into exile. 
This is not good news. This is bad news, right? The plans that God has for the people in Jeremiah is to exile them. So next time you get a card that says that, say no thanks. I don't want those plans. I don't want God to do this amazing thing that I won't understand. If it means I'm going to get wiped out. But this is the Lord's response to his complaint. Habakkuk says, you're not doing anything about what's taking place in Judah. There's this sin all around. You're you're not being just. You're not punishing wrong. And God says, I am. I'm raising up this nation. I'm going to use them to pour out judgment on Judah. This leads to Habakkuk's second complaint. He's not satisfied with that response. He doesn't like that answer. So he starts by kind of reminding himself in the second complaint that that God is eternal, that the life of the people is in God's hands. He's he's the maker. He's the creator. He kind of gets to do what he wants. But Habakkuk, uh, even though he understands that that God has ordained Babylon as, as judgment on Judah, he doesn't get, he doesn't understand how this is just. He knows that God is just and holy and pure, that God can't look at wrong. But Habakkuk doesn't understand how God can remain silent when when the wicked, that's that's Babylon, swallow up the man more righteous than him. For Habakkuk, that's Judah. And then he essentially charges God with with letting Babylon just oppress Judah and and all these other nations to to kind of just do kind of whatever they want for, for however long they want without God doing anything about it. So at the beginning of chapter two, Habakkuk says he's gonna, he's gonna sit at his watch post uh, on the tower. He's gonna wait for God's response. So Habakkuk starts his first complaint. He's complaining because he feels like his prayers haven't been answered. He's calling out to God, asking God to do something about the situation that's taking place in Judah. God responds to that complaint by saying, I'm already on it. I'm raising up this nation. They're gonna come in and I'm gonna pour out judgment through them on Judah. Habakkuk's second complaint is, that's unjust. You can't do that to us. So the Lord responds to Habakkuk in the rest of chapter 2. He tells him to write it down, saying this is, this is a message that needs to get spread. It says the fulfillment of what Habakkuk is about to see, it's going to wait until the appointed time, but it's, it's going to take place. And he encourages Habakkuk to wait for it. So Habakkuk has said, I'm going to sit on my watchtower. I'm going to wait to see what you're going to do. God says, Wait away. This is what's going to happen. Verse 4, he says, Babylon is, is puffed up. The soul of the nation is, is not upright, but the righteous shall live by his faith. So what we see here in, in, in verse 4 is the same thing we see when this verse gets quoted in the New Testament. It's quoted in Romans and Galatians and Hebrews. And it's a call to trust in the Lord. Habakkuk can't see, he can't understand what's taking place, but he knows God is good. He knows that God keeps his promises. And so God is calling on Habakkuk and calling the rest of the remnant with him to to trust in God, to cling to his promises, even as the Babylonians approach to kind of rain down judgment on Judah. And verse five kind of transitions to the rest of God's response. This is God telling Habakkuk not only to kind of trust in him, but also he he compassionately reassures him that he sees what's taking place. He sees the wickedness of the Babylonians, and and they're not going to go unpunished. He's going to punish them as well. 
says these are the things that are going to be their downfall. Uh, drunkenness, arrogance, greed, dissatisfaction, discontentment. These are going to lead to, to Babylon's downfall. And chapter 2 finishes with these, these five taunts, these, these woes uh, against Babylon. So first, he says, woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. So eventually, Babylon has been kind of taking all this stuff. They've been taking whatever they want from whoever they want. Eventually, God is saying someone is going to come who's going to take that stuff back. Eventually, those that have plundered many nations are going to be plundered themselves. The second woe says, Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house and set his nest on high. So similar to the Assyrians last week with, with Nineveh, the Babylonians think that they're untouchable. They think they're invincible. They think that they had turned their, their kind of wealth and possessions into safety and protection. But the reality is that God says they forfeited their lives. All of their ill-gotten gains are going are to cry out against them. The third woe says, Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. So the Lord may have you know, caused Babylon, allowed Babylon to, to raise the power and use them to uh, pour out judgment on Assyria and pour out judgment on Judah. But that's not what he wants for them. He, he has better in store for his people and his creation. One day, verse 14, he says, the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. The point here is that the Babylonians could have done so much more with their power. They could have used it for good in God's creation, but instead they used it to oppress people. They abused their position and wealth that God had given them. The fourth woe says, woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. Here the the drinking is, is drinking wrath. And it talks about how the Babylonians shamed their enemies. And God says that instead of the glory that they they think that they've achieved for themselves, in reality, they've only brought shame on themselves. They're going to drink themselves of the cup of the Lord's judgment. And at the height of their power, shame is going to come upon them because of their particularly violent actions against those that they conquered. It says that their idols are going to be no help to them. The fifth woe says, woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, and to a silent stone, arise. Right? Idols can't teach. They're not alive. Trusting in them is foolish. It says the Lord is in his temple. Trust him. Keep silence before him. This is a call for the people, for Habakkuk, to, to recognize who the Lord really is. He's the one who reigns over all things, even nations like Assyria and Babylon. And in the last chapter, we see Habakkuk heeding that call. We see him move from, from complaint to, to faith, to trust, to worship. The psalm that the book kind of closes with, it's, it's a a response of, of trust in and worship to the Lord. He starts by, by acknowledging that he, he knows him. He's been taught his works. He, he fears him. He wants the knowledge of the Lord to be revived in the midst of the people, uh, just like it had kind of started happening under Josiah's reign. He asked the Lord to remember mercy during the wrath, right? He understands wrath is coming, but he wants God to be merciful in the midst of that as well. Then starting in verse 3, he begins to recount some of the works of the Lord throughout Israel's history. He begins in the south with with their exodus, their journey through the wilderness. He talks about God's presence was with the people as they journeyed through the wilderness. The the tribes and nations that they approached, that they came into contact with, they were afraid because they had heard about what God had done. 
At Gibeah, God supernaturally provided for their victory as the sun and the moon stood still. God empowered the people to to conquer the land and to be saved from their enemies. Habakkuk knows the power of the Lord and he responds accordingly. Look at verse 16. He says, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. So Habakkuk knows, like he, he understands, he knows at this point that judgment is coming against him and his people. And he's afraid. And he's, he's rightly afraid of what's taking place because he knows who God is. He's just recounted all the you know, powerful, miraculous things God has done in Israel's history. And now he understands that that wrath, that judgment is coming against them. But he also now knows that Babylon will also face that judgment. So he's moved to a place of trust in the Lord. He doesn't think God is unjust anymore. This is made clear in the last three verses. He ends with faith and hope. He says, though the fig tree should not blossom nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. And recognize that, that these aren't just empty things, right? This is, this is a reality that he's going to face in the near future. All of these things are going to happen for them. He says he's going to rejoice anyway. He says, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. So even in the worst possible circumstances, Habakkuk is committed to trusting in the Lord, to to rejoicing in him. He's going to take joy in the God of his salvation. He's going to find his strength in him, and he's going to trust him to lead him in the midst of these uncertain times that are coming. So Habakkuk begins the book by by complaining that that God is essentially ignoring his people, that he's letting injustice take place in Judah. Then he pretty much outright accuses God of being unjust and using the Babylonians to punish Judah. But in the end, he, he, he listens to the Lord. He, he hears what he has to say, and he responds by demonstrating how the righteous live by faith. He moves to a place of trust. He doesn't, he doesn't like his circumstances, but he, but he loves the Lord, and he walks in faith, even as the judgment starts to fall. So I think for us, the book of Habakkuk is is a call to to rejoice, to to take joy in the Lord, to, to rest in the knowledge that he is firming up our footsteps, even in, in the worst circumstances, right? We're, we're not facing a Babylonian invasion, right? We're not, not facing anything like what he's facing. But the reality is that the ups and downs of each day bring their own struggle. And like we don't, we don't want to do, right, when, you know, like when someone calls you and they're like, let me tell you about the day I've had. And you're like, yeah, that sounds rough, but let me tell you about my day. Right? We don't want to let Habakkuk say, like, your situation isn't as bad as mine, so just suck it up. We're not facing an invasion. But we still struggle. 
We still have pain. We still have sorrow. We still, we still have to endure the brokenness of this world. And, and we need to recognize with Habakkuk, right? If Habakkuk can do that in these circumstances, we can do it in ours. We can, all of our circumstances are an opportunity for us to respond with faith and trust instead of with complaint. But also, don't miss the, the grace that God shows Habakkuk in his complaints. Right, Habakkuk is pretty feisty. Right, he, he starts by saying, like, God, you're not even listening. And he moves to saying, God, you're unjust. Like, this is wrong. How could you do this to us? And God doesn't just, like, snuff out his life. He doesn't smite him. He doesn't say like, well, the Babylonians are coming to your house today. He, he lovingly leads him. He's, he responds in grace. He, he moves him from a place of suspicion and doubt to a place of love and trust. He, he ministers to him. He counsels him. He, he moves him along so that Habakkuk can end at this place of faith. So he can end at this place of worship. So that he can respond rightly, even though the circumstances are dire. Right? Even when Habakkuk was responding poorly, the Lord is still guiding his steps. Habakkuk recognizes that at the end. You know, obviously, we want to respond to all our circumstances like Habakkuk does in chapter 3. But we also need to know that, that when we fail, when we fall short, when we give in to complaint and, and mistrust, that God is still going to respond to us with grace. He's still going to lovingly lead us just like he does Habakkuk in this book. Now, that's, that's not an excuse for us to keep complaining. Instead, seeing how gracious our God is, how merciful our God is to Habakkuk, should, should cause us to want to come to him sooner from a place of trust from a place of worship, resting in the fact that we know that he is in control. He is orchestrating all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so as we go out from this place today, as, as we deal with kind of the ups and downs of our days, let's remember that we don't have to complain. We can respond in faith at the beginning. But also if we do complain, Let's stick around with God to hear his response so that he can move us by his spirit to a place of trust and worship, even though our circumstances aren't what we want them to be. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are holy and just and pure that you know all things and that you are orchestrating history for the good of your people and for your glory. And we confess that, that we don't understand and that often the things that happen don't make sense to us. But we pray that you would help us to respond like Habakkuk does at the end. 
that we would trust in you, that we would rejoice in you, even if everything is falling apart around us. We pray that you would also help us to realize that Habakkuk got three chapters to respond rightly. So if we complain, if we get frustrated, if we get angry, that we want to confess that to you. But we also want to receive your grace and forgiveness in the midst of our brokenness. Jesus, we thank you that you set an example for us of how to respond well in even worse circumstances than Habakkuk's. We pray that you would use your spirit to continue to shape us into who you want us to be, to be more and more like you and less and less like who we were before you begin to change us. We thank you for your sacrifice. and pray that you would help us to respond rightly to who you are and what you've done for us as we continue in worship this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen.